0: Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. As we continue on with the series, To Live as Christ, we talked about how the first first night, last night, we talked about how we all have an equation that we have to fill out, and whatever we put it to live as what it will derive the second part of the equation for us. And and when you put Christ to live as Christ, then you end up with gain. Even no matter what you face, um, to live as Christ, then to die is gain. And by the way, I, I I heard what was the name of your group? The the the. the what was the sign? Oh, we have the sign here. Uh, the dead ceasers, to die is gains. Yeah, so to die is gains. I thought that was a nice job there. <clears throat> to live is Christ and to die is gains. <laughs> have Anybody seen the weight room? <laughs> yeah. So, is it that way? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, all right. It's late in the weekend. Okay. To live is, if to live as Christ to die is gain. And if, if we fill it in any other way, then, then it's loss. Um, and then we talked about how when Jesus is in the equation, he overwhelms everything else. He overwhelms the equation and and we looked at how everything changes when Jesus is in the equation and and frankly this morning we looked at how he transforms our relationships because he gives us the model of what it looks like um, to to bear his image and then we, as we live that out, it transforms the way we relate to each other. It was so beautiful watching you guys honor each other and and seeing how it really touched the depths of our hearts. Because we're so used to living in a culture of com- competition and comparison and to, to have... A moment where we just practiced the way of Jesus, of honoring each other. It was just powerful to watch what God was doing in your hearts. And people are sharing with me how significant that was. Because that is the reality when we live in gospel-centered relationships. Where we put the interests of others ahead of ourselves. When we put our grumbling aside and embrace gratitude. When we put competition aside and we honor, there's Something powerful. Something powerful. And tonight, we come to chapter 3 of Philippians, and I would say this chapter may hammer out the gospel in greater clarity than any other chapter in the Bible. Now, I would put Ephesians 2 up there. I'd put maybe Romans 8 up there, but anyways, this is one of them, okay? And so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. Before we do, I want to tell you a story. Go ahead and put up the the slide here, Gavin. I want to introduce you to a guy. This... um, this is Lauren Kreitzer, and I want to tell you his story. Lauren uh, lived in, in Leona Valley, uh, California, and um, was in a very severe car accident, almost fatal, um, but he survived. However, after the car accident, he lost his leg as a result of the accident, and he found himself broke. Um, he found himself unemployed, scraping by day to day. He talked about how um, he used to go out to eat at Costco so he could get the, the hot dog and the soda for $1.50. And that was, you know, how, how he was getting by. And then the other days he'd eat ramen um, to, to uh, keep himself fed and, and was living a, a fairly destitute life, self-admittedly. Until one day... Until one day, he was watching the Antique Roadshow. Has anybody ever seen the Antique Roadshow on PBS? This is like where, you know, they go into places and people bring something and they estimate the value of it. And as he was watching the Antique Roadshow, he saw a blanket that looked like that on the Antique Roadshow. And while he was watching this, it was a a first phase Navajo blanket the person was telling all about the blanket. Oh, this is a very special blanket. This is the first phase. Oh, this was probably made by so you know they do all that right. If you've ever seen the antique road show, these, I, like how do these people know this stuff? Where do they get these people? I don't know. But anyways, they spend a lot of time on Google. But uh, but but they they tell all the facts and they say we would estimate that this would be worth about five hundred thousand dollars. And he is sitting there just dumbfounded. And the reason is, is because he's like, that looks a lot like the blanket in my closet. So he hits the pause button. He goes and gets this bag in his closet that has his blanket in it. Let me tell you he got the blanket. It had been there for seven years. And he got it because his grandmother died. And as they were cleaning out everything, on the way out, there was one bag that was left by the door on the porch and he asked his sister, do you want the bag? And she said, like, why would I want that bag? And so on the way out, he just swooped it up. And in that was this blanket. Now, how his grandmother used it is she would put it out when the cat was getting ready to have kittens so the cat can have her new kittens on the blanket. So he's thinking, if that's worth $500,000, maybe mine's worth like five or $10,000, Right? And so he goes and gets it, he hits the pause button, he's like, sure enough, that, that looks like my blanket. So he takes it to the, some auction people. He thought, man, if I could get enough to fix my car. And then he kind of, he said, I pray that maybe I'd get enough to like buy a small house or something, like maybe that, maybe. Well, when it went for auction, it was sold in 77 seconds. For 1.5 million dollars. Thank you grandma. (laughs) Thank you grandma. I'll just take the blanket. That's fine. They can have the rest. And here's the point. Here's this guy. Who is worth 1.5 million dollars. Who's living like he's broke. He doesn't know the value of what he possesses. And what we're going to look at tonight is Paul's going to try to put you in touch and me in touch with the reality of the value of what we possess in Christ. And so he's going to come in and talk about the immense worth and how we sometimes act like we're broke when we have been given a treasure that's of immense value and immense worth. And so if you will, open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. I want to spend just a few minutes uh, setting the stage for what we're getting ready to read. Um, the people... Okay, so in Paul's day, there was a, a group of people that caused him a lot of heartburn, okay? Um, they, they would follow to different places that Paul had gone and try to undermine the gospel. And they were, they were uh, people who had, came from a Jewish background... And they were called Judaizers, which you don't need to remember that word. You need to more remember the spirit of what they would do. They would, they would oppose the, the gospel of grace. And here's how they would do it. They would say, we are all for Jesus and all, Jesus is good. We, we, we like Jesus and, and so on. But if you really want God to like you and to really like walk in his favor and for him to uh, and, and to be fully accepted by God then there's some things you need to do in addition to Jesus. Because here's, here's how, what they would say. Uh, first of all, uh, Jesus was Jewish, and Jews got circumcised on the eighth day. And so if you want to be truly accepted by God, yes, Jesus is good, but you also need to get circumcised. And by the way, um, we Jews, we observe, we have calendar observances that we observe called the Sabbath and certain festivals. And so here's a calendar you need to... Uh, to abide by this Jewish calendar. And I don't know if you know it, but we also eat kosher. And here is a menu that you can order from from now on. And so all of a sudden, as they're experiencing the goodness of Jesus, if they want God to really accept them, now they, okay, I'll take the scalpel and I'll take the calendar and I'll take the menu. And, and here's what happens. When you, when you add a plus factor to Jesus, you diminish Jesus. And here's why. Because Jesus becomes the constant in the equation and the variables are how you're performing these other things. And so therefore, what's happening is Jesus is being diminished and now they're they're trying to get them to focus on that their righteousness is really how well they do the calendar and how well they keep the menu and if they're circumcised or not. And Paul says, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't add a plus factor to the gospel. Because when you do that, you make it contingent on the plus factors. You diminish Jesus, and Jesus is sufficient. Okay, so that's what we're getting ready to get into. We're going to hear Paul's response to them. And I'm sorry, I'm going to need my glasses uh, tonight. But it says this, chapter 3, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same, same things to you. Again, it's a safeguard for you, which I always find interesting because he's saying this, There's certain things you're going to have to be reminded over and over and over again. And I've already told you this, but I want to remind you of it again because what they are sharing is actually quite seductive and you can fall for it. And then this is what he says. Watch out for those dogs. Okay, tell us how you really feel about them. Those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Jesus Christ, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about this for just a second. He calls them dogs. Okay, for some of you, that's a compliment, right? You're like, I love dogs. (laughs) Had somebody today ask me, what kind of dog do you have? I like my dog, kind of, (laughs) but... I mean, I, I like my dog. What I don't like is like centering my whole life around my dog every four hours. You know what I'm talking about? Like, we gotta be home to walk the dog. Going out to what we're we gonna do with the dog. You know. Anyways, I don't like that tyranny, but I live under the tyranny of buddy. My house. I like my dog. I like my dog. I'm not a hater. I'm a lover, I'm not a hater. But in that day, that's not the way dogs were. Dogs weren't like man's best friend. Dogs were nasty. They were scavengers. They would run around the the trash dumps. They were considered unclean animals. And he's saying this, those people who are trying to tell you how to be clean, they are actually unclean themselves. Okay? So they they don't know what they're talking about. He calls them evildoers. And why are they evildoers? Because they're trying to get around Jesus. They're trying to diminish Jesus. And then he says, and by the way, we are the people who are circumcised Why? Because the goal of circumcision was always, it was an outward sign of a heart of trusting in Yahweh. And we, as people who trust in Jesus, have the Holy Spirit who came into our hearts and circumcised our hearts so we could know God and relate to Jesus. We're the true circumcised. And so therefore, our boast and our confidence is in Jesus and Jesus alone. Okay. He says this, if at the end of the day, you have any confidence before god in anything other than jesus then you've just left the authentic christian faith in other words if you have confidence before god because of what you're eating or because you're circumcised or because of you you observed the, the Sabbath, or, or because you woke up early and had a quiet time, or, you know, if you, in other words, if you have any confidence before God in any of those things, then you have just added a plus factor to the gospel, because our confidence and our boast is in Jesus, and in Jesus alone. And he says, you know, he's like, I, I have uh, no confidence in the flesh, though, I myself have reasons for such confidence. And then he, he goes on to share his resume with these people in case they don't know. Go here. We actually have Apostle Paul's resume. It took a while to find it, but we found it. <clears throat> Let's read. Let's read his resume. He says this. If you think you have reasons for such confidence, he says, I have more. Listen, listen to what he says. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Now, if you were a Jewish young man and your parents loved Yahweh, they would take you and get you circumcised on the eighth day. He said, I nailed it. My parents nailed it, okay? And then he says this, not only that, of the people of Israel, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. In other words, when Israel kind of split, and went sideways, my tribe was the tribe that stayed loyal and faithful. In other words, I don't, I'm just not good people. I come from good people, right? He's like, I, I've got it. Not only that, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I speak The original language, I can read the Old Testament in the original language. Not only that, I was trained under the greatest uh, rabbis in Jerusalem. I nailed it. Not only that, in regards to the law, a Pharisee, I'm a part of the strictest sect of Judaism. Not only that, when it comes to zeal, I was persecuting the church, I was so zealous. I thought that they were off and I was going to take things into my own hands and I was persecuting them. And then he says this, and, and on a righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. I was faultless. In other words, I had the menu down. I had the calendar down. I had nailed it. He says anybody has reason to have confidence in, in their resume. I would be the one that has reason to have Confidence. He says, so if you want to put up your self-savior resume, put it up against mine. And I bet my self-savior resume outweighs your self-savior resume. But here's what I found out. That my self-savior resume doesn't make me righteous. It just makes me religious. And there's a difference between being made religious and being made righteous. And then... Verse 7, he talks about knowing Jesus as his Savior. He says this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And Paul says, true righteousness doesn't come from the law, The law can never purify your defiled heart. It can never make your defiled heart righteous. But he says, I've got something better. I've got something different in Christ. Here's what he says. He says, I have a righteousness that is found in Christ. In other words, before, as I was observing the law, my heart was still defiled and I still sat in the penalty of my sin, under the judgment of my sin. But in Christ, I've been removed from being sitting underneath the, the penalty of my sin. And now I sit in the grace of God. And now I sit under his blessing, his favor, his, his acceptance, and his love. Because I'm righteous in Christ. Not only that, he gave me new life by the Holy Spirit. I was I was given a new nature. And instead of living a life focusing on a law, trying to check boxes, now I live a life knowing Jesus, knowing Christ. He said I exchanged a list for a relationship. But Paul says, I used to live that way. I used to live trying to ex- be accepted by God based on, on what I did. I used to, to live trying to make myself righteous. But now I live in a different way and Jesus is my Savior. I'm no longer trying to save myself. Now I know Jesus as my Savior. And the first thing that I want to talk about tonight is that we would know Jesus as our Savior. Now, you've heard that many times, but practically and fundamentally, do you truly know Jesus as your Savior? What do I mean by that? Do you live from the acceptance of God or do you live for the acceptance of God? Do you live from His love or do you live for His love? Do you live from salvation, or do you live for salvation? Because here's what I know. When you live for acceptance, it is exhausting. It is fearful. But when you live from it, it is joyful and intimate and life-giving. Um, a few years ago, my kids were taking swim lessons. And the first thing you do when you take your kids to swim lessons is you teach them something very, very important. And that is how to float. Yes. And you know, it is hard to learn to float, like to surrender your body to the waters and like to relax where you can float. Um, and so i like, no, put your head back further. further. No, no, you know, trying to float. Right. I want you to do a mental exercise with me. I, I get this from the book called Surrendered to Love, which is on sale back there. And I want you to imagine yourself in a pool of God's love. I know, that's kind of a weird metaphor, but Imagine yourself in a pool of God's love. And I want you to picture yourself, you're treading water in the pool of God's love. Treading water. Some of you are like, oh, that's easy. I can tread water for a while. Others are like, two minutes. I'm tired. You know? And you're, you're, you're treading water in, the, in the, the pool of God's love to keep yourself afloat. And, if you, and you're afraid if you stop treading water, you're going to sink, right? That you, in other words, it is your effort that keeps you afloat in, in the pool of God's love. But here is what Jesus would want to teach you: to lean back, to put your head back, to relax and to find. That To to exchange your anxiousness and your fearfulness and your tiredness of trying to keep yourself up to lean back and to relax and to find that in Christ you can relax, that you can lay back, and that in Christ his work keeps you afloat. His righteousness keeps you afloat. His love keeps you afloat. And what he has done will buoy you and, and lift you up and make you float in the pool of God's love. That it is not about you trying to somehow maintain it, trying to somehow earn it, trying to somehow sustain it. It is about him and his work. And his work and his grace and his righteousness will buoy you and keep you afloat. See, Paul, he knew what it was like to try to keep himself afloat. And he said, I'm not going to do that anymore. Don't let them defile you that make you think that you're the one keeping yourself afloat. No, what Jesus did was sufficient. And if you'll just lean back in it, if you'll just relax, you will find that in his righteousness you float, not in your own righteousness. Now, for some of us, it's easier for us to accept that we are forgiven than it is for us to accept that we are righteous. Like you could say, okay, I can understand that Jesus forgave me, but um, that makes me kind of neutral and that makes me like positively righteous, right? But what, what this says is he doesn't just move you from, from guilty to neutral. No, he moves you from, from guilty in your sin to positively righteous in the righteousness of Christ that comes by faith, um, a few years ago, Amy was, my wife, her name's Amy, was listening to a song called Redeemed. And while she was listening to the song, the Lord gave her a vision. And I came home, she's like, hey, I got something to share with you. I was worshiping today, and while I was listening to the song Redeemed, I got a vision, and I, I was like, well, what was it? She said, well, when it sang the line, I, I've been redeemed, she said, I was looking, I had a dress on, and I was looking, it was a cloudy day, I was looking towards the cross, and when it said, I've been redeemed, there was like a shaft, a beam of light that came out of the clouds, and it hit me, and as it hit me, I just started to radiate, my heart started to radiate, and I started to radiate, my dress started to radiate, and everything around me started to radiate. And she said, and I knew in that moment that what God was showing me is that I was pure and that I was clean and that I was in a state of righteousness because of what Jesus had done and that this was just a picture to illuminate the righteousness that I live in because of Jesus. And if you are in Christ, that is your story. And so... There is a, an exchange of clinging to a list. Instead, we cling to Christ for our righteousness. I have a question for you. Do you need to recapture a deep understanding that Jesus is your Savior and you can rest in his righteousness, in his love, in his grace, that he is your Savior. You're not your savior. I bet your resume doesn't compare to Paul's. And so Paul said, I wadded up my resume and I consider it garbage. You want to, Actually, he says, I consider all things garbage. And can I tell you, that is a pretty um, tame translation of the Greek. Um, the, the word that, that's actually there is scubula, which is a word that you wouldn't have said often. Because it was a word that was used for animal and human excrement. He's like, if you want to know what I consider all things, especially my resume, compared to the goodness and the greatness of knowing Jesus, it's like a hot pile of (laughs) scuba. Compared to knowing Jesus. So number one, I want us to know Jesus as our Savior and to experience the relief and the blessing of that. Then number two, let's keep reading verse 10. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. He just says, I want to know Jesus. I want to know Christ better. And then verse 12, he says this. Now, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to taken hold of it But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Can you sense the passion and the hunger and the pursuit that Paul has for Jesus? Okay, Paul at this point in his life has been following Jesus for 30 years. I was thinking today, I've been following Jesus for about 27 years maybe 28. And 30 years into it, he says this, this is what I know. I just want to know Jesus better. In other words, he doesn't want to just know Jesus as his Savior. He wants to know Jesus as his Lord. He wants to press on to take hold of that which, for which Christ Jesus took hold of him. He wants Jesus to be the center of his life. He wants to be, have Jesus be the one who's over his life. He just wants to know Jesus better. And this knowing isn't just about an intellectual knowledge. It's about heart knowledge. He's like, there's more for me to know about Jesus. There's more for me to grow in Jesus. There's more for me to do in Jesus. And I just want more of Jesus in my life. One of my favorite books is a book called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. And here's a quote out of his book. Let me read it to you. He says this, How tragic that we, in this dark day, have had our seeking done for us by our teachers. Everything is made to center upon the initial act of accepting Christ, and we are not expected therefore to crave any further revelation of God to our souls. Then he says this, the fiery urge that drove the previous saints is wholly missing. Ignoble contentment takes the place of burning zeal. In other words, we're just content knowing Jesus as our Savior. And there's no pursuit of his lordship in our lives. There's no, no hunger to know him more. It's like, no, I'm sad. I'm fine. No, no, but but, but A.W. Toe's like, no, that's an ignoble con- contentment that we should have the same heart. That when you have tasted of Jesus, you want more. You want to know him more. And so Paul says, I press on to know him more. How do we do that? Paul tells us two things. Number one, we forget what is behind. We forget what is behind. We don't wallow in the cesspool of regrets. We don't let our past haunt us. We know that we, that that the, the light and life of Jesus now radiates from us, that we are righteous. We are, he is our savior. And now we press on, we forget what is behind and we press on, right? So in other words, Paul had a pretty checkered past. He had persecuted believers. He had arrested believers. He was complicit in the death of believers. And yet, It did not hold him back for what Christ had for him and him wanting to know Christ more. He pressed on. So we have to forget what is behind. Can I encourage you, do not let the enemy bring accusation from your past to hold you back. And then secondly, straining towards what is ahead. Now this is an athletic term. And anybody who has ever ran track know what this means, straining towards what is ahead. Because what do you do towards the tape? You, come on, you lean, right? When you get to the tape, you lean into the tape because that can make all. In other words, you're straining for Your momentum has, you've got to get over your skis a little bit, right? And, 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 and lean and strain towards what, what God has for you. To take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. If you want to win the prize, as he said, for which Christ Jesus calls heavenward, you've got to strain forward. OK. As I was thinking about this, leaving what is behind and straining towards what is, for, what is ahead of us, I thought of an illustration of the monkey bars. Anybody ever do the monkey bars growing up? By the way, do the monkey bars while you can, because when you get old, it's hard on your rotator cuffs. OK, I'm just not that I know anything about that, but um, anyways. But here's the key to the monkey bars, okay? You're, you got the monkey bars. Here's the key to the monkey bars. What do you have to do? You have to let go what's, what's behind you, right? And then you have to strain for what is ahead. And not only that, you have to keep your momentum going, right? Have you ever like got in the middle of monkey bars and lost all momentum? And you're like, uh, now what do I do? Anybody been there? It's not a good feeling. Okay, that's when your rotator cuffs really start to give. Anyways, that's a whole nother story, but, So you have to let go and strain forward. And Paul's saying, as Jesus is my Lord, I want to, to let go what's behind and strain forward for what he has for me. Because I know there's more to know. I know there's more to grow. And I know there's more to do in Christ. Not earning anything, but just to know him more. And so Paul wants to know Jesus better. He wants to love Jesus more. He wants to glorify Jesus more sufficiently. He wants to look more like Jesus. He wants to serve in his kingdom and bear more fruit. So the question that I have for you is, do you know Jesus both as Savior and as Lord? If you know him as Savior, he'll keep you out of the ditch of legalism. If you know him as Lord, he'll keep you out of the ditch of license. That idea, well, I'm saved by grace, so I can do whatever I want. Where do you find that in the Bible? You won't. Um, I, uh, probably a year or two ago, I was listening to a, a podcast by uh, Tim Keller, and I just got more credibility from some of you because I said Tim Keller's name. But... <laughs> and, and he talked about when he was in college, your age, he went to, I think it was a retreat. And there was a lady who was teaching at this retreat on the Lordship of Christ. And he said, there's an illustration she gave that I've never forgotten. And since he's told me, I haven't forgotten it either. She said this, you can't come to me, and I'll I'll now be the teacher. You can't come to me, Pete, and say, so Jacob, Bushy, imagine you're saying this. Um, Say, come in, Pete, but stay out, Bulette. Right? You can't say that. That wouldn't make sense. Okay, come in, Pete, but stay out, Bulette. Why? Because I am both Pete and Bulette. I can't separate Pete and Bulette. Does that make sense? Those are my two names, but they're not separable. And, and his point was, you can't say to Jesus, come in, Savior, but stay out, Lord. It's not possible because he is Lord and Savior. You can't just interact with him as Savior but not want him as Lord. That if you, if you engage in a relationship with him, the glory is you get him as Savior and the glory is you get him as Lord. So you can know him. So you can know him better and love him more and, and truly make him your king. We don't get to choose. We want to both know Him as Savior and as Lord. I want to conclude this message and I want to talk to three groups of people tonight. The first group of people is you are here and you're on a retreat to learn more about Jesus and you like some people in Chi Alpha but you are not a follower of Jesus. And I want to to speak to you for just a moment. The Bible says that without Christ, all of us sit under the weight of our sins. And that there is none who is righteous, not even one. In other words, there's no one who would let us play their life on the PowerPoint tonight and see every deed you've ever done or every thought you've ever thought. None of us. Are righteous, and that Jesus went to the cross to pay for your sin and for my sin, and as and He took the wrath, the judgment our sin deserved upon Himself, so that we could be made righteous, having our sin dealt with, that He then gives us His righteousness, and we can be in the righteousness of Christ. And have new life in him. He paid the price for our sin. And then he rose again victorious. And he gives us his new life. And tonight, you can enter into that life if you will place your trust in Jesus. Because there's no one in here who can be a savior for themselves. You can become religious, but you cannot become righteous. And so tonight, I would invite you as we respond to turn to Jesus and place your trust in him. And know him as your savior and make him your Lord. There's others of you who have been a follower of Jesus. And tonight you need to recapture the idea that he is your savior. That you aren't your own self-savior. That somehow you have been duped by focusing on the things of the Christian life, and your confidence is now based on the stuff that you do, not on what Jesus has done for you. And you find yourself trying to doggy paddle to keep yourself afloat in God's love. And what you really need to do is to relax and recapture the fact that it's not about your work, it's about His work. It's not about your righteousness, it's about His righteousness. It's not about how good you are, it's about how good He is. And I want to encourage you that as we respond tonight, to come and respond and recapture him as your Savior. And then finally, there's others of you that need to recapture the fact that Jesus is your Lord. That if I were to ask you and you were honest in reply, you would say there is no pressing on right now in my life. That there is a a malaise of passivity in my faith. That there, um, as A.W. Tozer said, is an ignoble contentment and no burning zeal for Jesus. John Piper put it this way. He said, if you know Jesus, the surefire way is that you want more of him. Because the Spirit doesn't deaden our hunger, it excites our hunger. And tonight, you need to recapture that Jesus is your Lord, that you want to press on to know Him more, to love Him more, to be more like Him, to be more centered on His kingdom. I remember a young lady who came to our fall retreat and heard a message. I don't remember what the passage was, but it was about giving every aspect of her life over to Jesus. And as, as she heard the message, the Holy Spirit began to convict her of her relationship with her boyfriend. I didn't have any idea she even had a boyfriend, you know. And she began to weep and weep as on a Saturday night and then Sunday after retreat her core group leader drove her to her boyfriend's campus and she went and broke up with her boyfriend through her tears wow she was like okay Jesus is going to be the lord of every part of my life she cried on the way there it was a tearful breakup and then she I as i understand cried on the way home but i know now she would tell you It was one of the most important steps of obedience she'd taken. I don't need to tell you where she's at now, because I don't want to say, oh, this is what happened. No. But she trusted Jesus. And she made him Lord. And so I don't know what area you may need to surrender. I don't know. I'll leave that to the Holy Spirit. I'm not here. I mean, maybe he's like, you surrendered everything. You're good. Great. for others of you it's not about what you surrender it's about what you need to take up that what, what it's not about what you're doing it's about what you're not doing that Jesus would want you to step into that that he would want you to start to pursue him more he would he would want you not to earn anything but just to know him more to have the hunger that Paul had after 30 years of knowing him and it, maybe it's about being faithful to your to your community, to the people of God. And, and, and he want, he's calling you to that. Maybe it's about how he wants to use you in your, in your program or your department or your dorm or, or, or wherever, that, that he's wanting you to, to make him Lord. Say, I've got things for you. If you'll just step out in faith, I've got things for you. And so I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. And we're going to respond tonight. Here's what I know. I want some of us to recapture the fact that we don't need to live like we are spiritually broke when we have something of unspeakable worth in Christ and we just need to treasure in glory in who Jesus is in our lives as our Savior. Let's recapture tonight. And then when it comes to His Lordship... Let's come to him and say, you are Lord. When you're done with that, perhaps there'll be somebody in your core group or a housemate that you'll want to go pray with and and pray together. Lord, we want to know you as as Lord and Savior and and pray for them and pray that the Holy Spirit would do a fresh work. And some of you, you're like, I know I should hunger, but I don't hunger. I love one of the things that A.W. Tozer puts in his book called The Pursuit of God. He says, Maybe you need to pray. I hunger to hunger, and maybe tonight it's just like I hunger to hunger. Will you take the and and fan the flame of my heart that I would I would have a greater hunger to know you and greater hunger for uh, to, to to love you more and to walk more closely with you, not to earn anything, just to know Him. And, and again, Tozer says this. He says eternity will not be long enough to discover all there is to know of the glories of God. There's more. To discover of his goodness and his glory. Will you stand tonight? We're going to respond in prayer. I, again, I want you to pray before you sing. And when you're done, praying, then start singing. You guys can sing. You guys go ahead and sing. But I want them to, I just want us to, to talk to God and then we'll talk to him through song. Lord, tonight, I pray that we would know you as Savior and Lord. And, and I've seen many people come to Christ on Saturday nights. And I believe that tonight is the night for somebody to step into the new life of, of following Jesus, of being made righteous, and new life of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So I pray for the saving work of Jesus to be in the house tonight. Jesus, I pray that by your Spirit you would come and draw near to us as we draw near to you. I pray that people who hunger to hunger will start to taste of the sweetness of your presence and the goodness of your grace afresh. I pray that people would float in your love and in your righteousness and in your goodness and of your grace tonight. And I pray we would lean in with all of our momentum to say we want to take hold of that for which you took hold of us. We We want to press on to win the prize, to run hard through the tape. For your glory, our joy, and the good of those around us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.